0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel good podcast. Where this week we do some more Treasure Island chapters. I went on a bit of an anthropological excursion when I went to a concert this past week, and I talked about a new nature documentary on Netflix. That's right, this week we do five more chat four more chat a bunch of chat. One, two, three, five more chapters of uh, Treasure Island. So I'm counting it as I'm looking at Audacity here. Uh, I talk about a new nature documentary called Night on Earth, which is quite, frankly, spectacular, but I'll get into more details about that a little later on. And I went to a goth concert, which was... Very interesting. I'm, I'm hopeful that you will enjoy my uh, my tales and tribulations in regards to that. But if you enjoy the Going Up cast and wish to support the Going Up cast, there's lots of ways in which you can do that. You can go to patreon.com forward slash going up where you can become a $5 patron and get access to the monthly live streams in which I read chapters or play games and answer questions. They're just tons of fun. Or you can go to Goingcast.com forward slash store, where you can procure yourself a mystery book, which could be literally anything, or you can get a customized reading of any piece of literature to which you can send in some form of email electronic device. You can also follow us on Instagram at upcast or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the goingupcast, I believe. I think it's just goingupcast. Not 100% sure, but if you search Past" on Facebook, I'm confident you will find this uh, this particular program. And um, yeah, I think that's, a, that's about it. A bit of a long one this week. Well, that's a shit to talk about, so let's get right into it with a new chapter. Chapter 21 of Treasure Island. The attack. As soon as Silver disappeared, the captain who had been closely watching him turned toward the interior of the house and found not a man of us at his post but gray it was the first time we've seen him angry quarters he nope that wasn't kermit Hold on <clears throat> quarters there we go he roared and then as we all slunk back to our places gray he said i'll put your name in the log you stood by your duty like a seaman like a spunk mr trelawney i'm surprised to you sir doctor i thought you had worn the king's coat and that's how you served at Fontenoy, sir, you had been better in your birth. The doctor's watch were all black at their loopholes. Yep. The rest were busy loading the spam muskets and everyone with a red face. You may be certain. And a flea in his ear, as the saying is. And a flea in his ear. I guess because, oh, they're like scratching like the back of their head awkwardly, maybe. Maybe that's what they're referring to. That could be it. I gotta charge my phone. Hold on. In you go. There we go. Um... Oh, apparently, the other end of the charge cord is not plugged in all the way. Eh. There we go. Okay. Cool. Anyway. And Captain looked on for a while in silence. Then he spoke. My lads, he said, I've given Silver a broadside. I pitched it in red hot on purpose, and before the hour's out, as he said, we shall be boarded. We're outnumbered. I needn't tell you that, but we must fight, but we fight in shelter. And a minute ago, I should have said we fought with discipline. I have no manner of doubt that we can drub them if you choose. Then he went to the, then he went the rounds and saw, as he said, that all was clear. On the two short sides of the house, east and west, there were only two loopholes. On the south side, where the porch was, two again, and on the north side, five. There was a round score of muskets for the seven of us. The firewood had been built into four piles, tables, uh, you might say, one about the middle of each side, and on each of these tables, some ammunition and four loaded muskets were laid ready to hand of the defenders. In the middle, the cutlasses lay ranged. Toss out the fire," said the captain. "The chill is past, and we mustn't have smoke in our eyes." The iron fire basket was carried bodily out by Mr. Trelawney, and the embers smothered among the sand. Hawkins has in hand his breakfast. Hawkins, help yourself, and back to your post to eat it," continued Captain Smollett. "Lively now, my lad, if you want it before you're you've done." Hunter, serve out a round of brandy to all hands. Yeah, that's what they need before a shoot out is to be drunk, idiots. And while this was going on, the captain completed in his own mind the plan of the defence. Doctor, you will take the door, he resumed, see, and don't expose yourself, keep within and the fire through the porch, and fire through the porch, Hunter, take the east side there, Joyce, you stand by the west, my man, Mr. Treline, you are the best shot, you and Gray will take this long north side with the five loopholes, it's there, the danger is, if they can get up to it, fire in upon us through our own ports, things will begin to look dirty, Hawkins, neither you nor, German, I, are much account at shooting, will stand by to load and bear a hand. As the captain had said, the chill was past. As soon as the sun climbed above our girdle of trees, it fell with all of its force upon the clearing and drank up the vapors as a drought. Soon the sand was baking and the resin melting in the logs of the blockhouse. Jackets and coats were flung aside. Shirts thrown open at the neck and rolled up to the shoulders. Um, Shirts rolled up to the shoulders? Fuck, that's a billowy shirt. I don't know how they did... Oh, they've got, like, noodle arms. How could you roll up a shirt to the shoulders? And we stood there, each at his post, in a fever of heat and anxiety. An hour passed. "Ying them, said the captain. This is as dull as the doldrums. Gray whistle for the wind. And just at the moment came the first news of the attack. If you please, sir, said Joyce. If I see anyone, I might fire." "And I told you so, cried captain. Thank you, sir, returned Joyce with the same civility. Nothing followed for a time, but the remark had set us all alert, straining our ears and eyes, the muskets with their pieces balanced in their hands. The captain... "'out in the middle of the blockhouse "'with his mouth very tight "'and a frown on his face. "'So some seconds passed "'till suddenly Joyce whipped up his musket and fired. "'The report had scarcely died away ere it was repeated and repeated "'from without a scattering volley shot behind shot. "'Like a string of geese from every side of the enclosure, "'several bullets struck the longhouse, "'but not one entered. "'And as the smoke cleared away and vanished, "'the stockade and the woods around it "'looked as quiet and empty as before. "'Not a bow wave, not a gleam of a musket barrel "'betrayed the presence of our foes. "'Did you hit your man?' Asked the captain. No, sir, said Joyce. I believe not, sir. Next best thing to tell the truth, muttered Captain Smollett. Load his gun, Hawkins. Um, how many should, um, how many should they say there were on your side, Doc? What? Ah. Oh. How many should they, should, s- fucking, god damn it. How many should say there were on your side? How many should say there were on your side? How many should say there were? There were. On your side, Doctor. That's a terrible fucking sentence. I know precisely, Dr. Livesey said. Three shots were fired on the side of the house. I saw the three flashes. Two close together, one farther to the west. Three, said the captain. <laughs> and how many on yours, Mr. Trelawney? But this was not easily answered. There had come many from the north. Seven by the squire's computation. Eight or nine, according to Gray. From the east and west, only a single shot had been fired. It was plain, therefore, that the attack would be developed from the north and that on the other three sides. We're only to annoy... I won't be annoyed by a show of hostilities, but Captain Small made no changes to the arrangement. If the mutineers succeeded in crossing the stockade, he argued, they would take possession of any unprotected loophole and shoot us down like rats in our own stronghold. Nor had we much time left for us for uh, left to us for thought. Suddenly, with a loud huzzah, a little cloud of pirates leapt from the woods and on the north side and ran straight to the stockade. Ah, pirate clouds! Weather never gets it right. At the same moment, the fire was opened once more on from the woods, and a rifle ball sang through the doorway knocked the doctor's musket to, into bits. Damn. The border swarmed over the fences like monkeys. Squire and Gray fired again and again. Um, uh, three men fell, one forward into the enclosure and two back on the outside. But of these, one was evidently more frightened than hurt, for he was on his feet again in a, uh, in a crack, and then incidentally disappeared among the trees. Two had bit the dust. One had fled, four had made good inside, uh, made good their footing, made good their footing. Fucking God damn it! This phrasing is terrible. Inside our defenses, while from the shelter of the woods, seven or eight men, each evidently supplied with several muskets, kept up a hot, though useless fire on the log house. The four had uh, boarded, made straight before them, for the built, made straight before them for the building shouting as they ran, and the men among the trees shouted back to encourage them. Several shots were fired, but such was the hurry of the marksmen that not one appears to have taken effect. In a moment, the four pirates had swarmed up the mound and were upon us. And the head of Job Anderson, the boatswain, appeared in the middle loophole. Ahem! um All hands! All hands! He roared in a voice of thunder. At the same moment, another pirate grasped Hunter's musket by the muzzle, wrenched it from his hands, plucked it through the loophole, and with one stunning blow laid the poor fellow senseless on the floor. Meanwhile, a third, running unarmed, um, unharmed all around the house, uh, appeared suddenly in the doorway and fell with his cutlass on the doctor our position was utterly reversed a moment since we were firing undercover at an exposed enemy now it was we who lay undercover and could not return a blow the house was full of smoke to which we owed our comparative safety cries and confusion flashes and reports of pistol shots one loud groan rang in my ears now lads, out fight them up in the open cutlasses cried the captain I snatched a cutlass from the pile, and someone at the same time snatched another, giving me a cut across the knuckle, which I hardly felt. I dashed out the door into the clear sunlight. Someone was close behind. I knew not whom. Right in front, the doctor was pursuing his assailant down the hill just as my eyes fell upon him, beat down his guard, and sent him sprawling on his back with a great slash across the face. "'Round the house, lads! Round the house!' cried the captain, and even in the hurly-burly, I perceived a change in his voice. Mechanically, I obeyed, turned eastward and with my cutlass raised, ran round the corner of the house. Next moment, I was face to face with Anderson. He roared aloud. His hanger went up above his head at the flashing of the sunlight. I had not time to be afraid, but as the blow still hung impending, leaped in a trice upon one side, missing my foot in the soft sand, rolled headlong down the slope. When I first sallied from the door, the other mutineers had already swarmed up the palisade to make an end of us. One man in a red nightcap with his cutlass in his mouth had even got upon the top and thrown a leg across. Had even got upon the top and thrown a leg across, I'm sure. Well, so short had been the interval that, when I found my feet again, all was in the same posture. The fellow with the red nightcap still halfway over, another still just showing his head um, above the top of the first arcade. And yet, in this breath of time, the fight was over and the victory was ours. Gray, falling close behind me, had cut down his big boatswain ere he had time to recover from the last blow. Another had been shot at the loophole in the very act of firing into the house now lay in agony, a pistol still smoking in his hand. A third, as I had seen, the doctor had disposed of at a blow. Of the four who had scaled the palisade, only one remained unaccounted for, and he, having left his cutlass on the field, was now clambering out again with the fear of death upon him. Fire! Fire from the house! cried the doctor. And you lads, back into cover! But his words were unheeded. No shot was fired, and the last border made good his escape and disappeared uh, and the rest of, into the wood. Three seconds, nothing remained of the attacking party, but the five who had fallen, the four inside and the one outside of the palisade. The doctor and Gray and I ran full speed for the shelter. So wait, hold on, they killed five who had fallen four on the inside and one on the outside of Palisade so they estimated that the pirates had like 20 people and they just decimated 25% of their attacking force in a couple of seconds I mean that's what happens when you're defended in these you know they're not wearing any armor they're just like fucking pirates and there's swords and guns and shit that makes sense to me ow I don't know what the fuck I did to my wrist but it's been really fucking irritating me for a while I need to go out to the garage get my wrist braces back Um well plus I uh, Hold on The doctor and grey and I Ran full speed for the shelter The survivors would soon be back Where they had left their muskets And any moment the fire Might recommence The house by, was by this time somewhat cleared of smoke And saw at a glance That the price we had paid for victory Hunter lay beside his loophole Stunned rejoiced by uh, his Shot through the head Never to move again uh, While right in the center The squire was supporting the captain One as pale as the other Um The captain's wounded Said Master Trelawney um, have yeah, they run? asked Mr. Smollett. All that could, and uh, all that could, you may be bound, returned the captain. But there's five of them will never run again. Five, cried the captain. Come, that's better. Five against three leaves us four to nine. That's better odds than when we had started. We were seven to nineteen then, or so we thought, and that was as bad to bear. Mutineers uh, were soon only eight in number, for the man shot by Mr. Trolley on board the schooner died the same evening of his wounds. But this, of course, was not known until after by the Faithful Party. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So the odds are even better. That's uh, that's pretty good. And it looks like we're about to move on to the next part of the book. So last week I briefly talked about a new nature documentary called Night on Earth. It's a, it's a little mini-series. Um, oh God, my computer's making noises. It's a little mini-series. Um, shut up, computer, god damn. Um, about, uh, nocturnal animals all over the, um, all over the world. Like there's a episode about the moonlit plains of the African savannah. There's something called frozen nights, then like deep seas and that sort of stuff. And it kind of bounces around to different animals every now and then. And a, a trope in nature documentaries is it'll be like this small rodent is about to go up against this big ass snake. Let's see what happens. And then they fight and then the rodents like on the back foot And then the the documentary person will be like, Looks like this rodent's luck has run out. And then the snake will, like, fuck up and the rodent gets away. And then the documentary will be like, Looks like the little rodent lives to fight another day. And the snake, meanwhile, goes without supper once more. You know, like, it'll, it'll just trail off like that. This documentary is a real big fan of, like, Ah, oh, here's an adorable baby fur seal, and then some fucking bats come out to kill it. But nah, the the adult fur seals are are, are covering it, so the baby fur seal's fine. But then a sea lion comes out of the out of the water to, to eat the baby fur seal. But the baby fur seal's more agile, so it got away in the rocks and and it's safe again. But now it's away from the adults, so the bats come back. But then its mom shows up, and everything's fine. It does a lot of like fucking. It teases you. It's it's not and it's getting a little predictable because of it you know it's like you know i'm like almost done with the first episode and only one thing has fucking killed something you know it was a goddamn mouse against a scorpion and you're just like yeah well whatever no no, no shit it's all the scorpion because you're shining a uv light on the poor bastard and it's just glowing like a fucking sign so it's it's visually really cool i just think they're they're a little heavy-handed with shit like This footage you're seeing here has never been seen before ever, before ever. It's the first time. This is the first time. Eh, shit, cool. You're the first human in the world to see this. That's what you're seeing for the first time. And I'm like, that's great and all. And I know the technology is cool. That's why I'm watching it. You don't need to fucking... I'm already in documentary. You don't need to convince me to keep watching it. You know? You're not... It's just... It's fine. Just fucking show me some dope shit. Quit teasing me with, oh, look, we've named the seal, so you feel emotionally attached to her while it gets tortured in the night by vampire bats and giant sea lions and the more vampire bats. It's, it's, boo, boo, I say. It's bad documentary.ing It doesn't need to be terror the whole time. I know nature is kind of terrifying, but it doesn't need to be like that the entire time. So, uh, yeah, but it's a, uh, it, from a visual point of view, seeing like the low light cameras and having it look like it's day and you can still see the stars visible that's pretty cool um so i very much enjoyed for that i'm a little scared about the underwater one because i'm i don't want things like looming out of the darkness at me i mean i'm already terrified of the ocean as any sensible person should be but it's i don't need i don't need like another fucking here in the depths of the ocean just the most terrific Lovecraftian monsters just come out to play. Watch as they loom out of the darkness out at you and then fade away like they were never there in the first place. Um, but yeah, no, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, it's been it's been kind of like a, a, a lazy day for me. I'm currently wrapped in a blanket with a hot pot of tea watching this nature, nature documentary. Try to ignore this book in front of me that I'm supposed to be reading, but hey, you know what? That's fine. I'll get to it. I'll get to it at some point. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 worthwhile. Um, If you're a uh, if you got some time to kill, I'd uh I'd recommend it. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing of the podcast. Alrighty, got my wrist braces. Let me just close the door real quick. Oh fuck. Okay. Chapter Oh no, part five, my sea adventure. Chapter 22, how my sea adventure began. Wow, well, that's appropriately titled. Okay. Fortunately I don't need to uh move my hands all that much in order to read a book that is a pdf okay there was no return of the mutineers not so much as another shot out of the woods out of the woods they had quote got their rations for that day as captain put it and we had to we had the place to ourselves and the quiet time to overhaul the wounded and get dinner squire and i cooked outside In spite of the danger and even outside, we could hardly tell what we were at for horror of the loud groans that reached us from the doctor's patients. Out of the eight men who had fallen in the action, only three still breathed: That, one of the pirates who had been shot at the loophole, Hunter and Captain Smollett, and of these, the first two were as good as dead. Munir, indeed, died under the doctor's knife. And Hunter, do what we could, never recovered consciousness in the world. In this world. He lingered all day, breathing loudly like the old buccaneer at home in his apoplectic fit. But the bones of his chest had been crushed by the blow. And his skull fractured and falling. And sometime in the following night, without sign nor sound, he went to his maker. He went to his maker. Uh, hold on. I am slowly losing circulation in my right hand. So I'm just going to loosen the straps a bit. You know it's a it's a fine art to make sure that it's like getting the compression it needs while still allowing blood to flow and not losing feeling in your fingertips anyway need to do as for the captain his wounds were grievous indeed but not dangerous no organ was fatal injury. anderson's ball sure for it was job that shot him first had broken his shoulder blade and touched his lung not badly the second had only torn and displaced some muscle in the calf He was sure to recover, the doctor said, but in the meantime, and for weeks to come, he must not walk nor move his arm, nor so much as speak, when he could help it. My own accidental cut across the knuckles was a flea bite. Dr. Livesey patched up with plaster and pulled my ear for me into the bargain. Oh, okay. Uh, After dinner, the squire and the doctor sat by the captain's side a while in consultation, and when they had talked to their heart's content, it being then a little past noon, the doctor took up his hat and pistols, girt on a cutlass, put the chart in his pocket and with a musket over his shoulder crossed the palisade to the north side and set off briskly through the trees and gray and i were sitting together at the far end of the blockhouse to be out of earshot of our officers consulting and gray took his pipe out of his mouth and fairly uh, forgot to put it back again so thunderstruck oh god what have i done um i think i hit enter so thunderstruck he was at this occurrence <clears throat> why the name of davy jones he said his doctor lives he mad "'Why, no?' says I. "'He's about the last of his crew for that, I uh, take it.' "'Well, shit, mate!' said Grey. "'Mad he may not be, but if he's not, you mark my words, I am!' "'I take it,' replied I. "'The doctor had s- his idea, and if I'm right, he's going to s- now to see Ben Gunn.' "'I was right, as appeared later, but in the meantime, "'the house being stifling hot and the little patch of sand inside the palisade ablaze with midday sun, "'I began another thought in my head, which was not by any means so right.' What I began to do was to, German, envy the doctor walking in the cool shadow of the woods with the birds about him and the pleasant smell of the pines while I sat grilling with my clothes stuck to my, stuck to the hot resin and so much blood about me and so many poor bodies, uh, laying all around that I took a disgust of the place that was almost as strong as fear. All the time I was washing out the blockhouse and then washing up the things for dinner, this disgust and envy kept growing stronger and stronger till at last. Being near a bread bag and no one observing me, I took the first step toward my es- escapade and filled both my pockets of uh, filled both pockets of my coat with biscuits. I was a fool, if you like, and certainly I was going to do a foolish, overbold act. But I was determined to do it with all the precautions in my power. These biscuits, should anything befall me, would keep me at least from starving till far on the next day. The next thing I laid hold of was a brace of pistols, and as I had already had the powder horn and bullets, I fet- felt myself well supplied with arms. As for the scheme I had in my head, it was not a bad one in itself. I was going down to the sandy spit that divides the anchorage on the east side from the open sea to find the white rock I had reserved last evening and ascertain whether or not it was still, um, whether um, it was there or not that Ben Gunn had hidden his boat, anything quite worth doing as I still believe. But as I was certain I should not be allowed to leave the enclosure, my only plan was to take French leave and slip out when nobody was watching. And that was so bad a way of doing it as made the thing itself wrong. But I was only a boy, and I had made my mind up. Well, as things at last fell, I'd have found an admirable opportunity. The squire and grey were busy helping the captain with his bandages. The coast was clear. I made a bolt for it over the stockade, into the thickets, thickest of the trees. And before my absence was observed, I was out of cry of my companions. This was my second folly, far worse than the first. As I left but two sound men to guard the house. But like the first, it was a help towards saving us all. I took... My way straight for the east coast of the islands, for I was determined to go down to the seaside of the spit to avoid a chance of observation from the anchorage. It's already late in the afternoon, although still warm and sunny. As I continued th- to thread the tall woods, I could hear from far before me not only the count- continuous thunder of the surf, but a certain tossing of foliage and grinding of boughs, which showed me the sea breeze had set up higher than usual. Soon, cool drafts of air began to reach me, and a few steps further, I came forth into the open borders of the grove. Saw the sea lying blue and sunny in the horizon, and the surf tumbling and tossing its foam along the beach. I had never seen the sea quite round, Treasure Island. The sun might blaze overhead, the air be without a breath, the surface smooth and blue, but still these great rollers would be running all along the external coast, thundering and thundering by day and night. And I scarcely believe there is one spot in the island where a man could be out of earshot of their noise. I walked along. "'Beside the surf, with great enjoyment till thinking I was now got far enough south, I took the cover of some thick bushes and crept warily to the ridge of the spit. Before, behind me was the sea in front of the anchorage, the sea breeze as though it had been, uh, had, oh god damn it, the sea breeze as though it had the sooner blown itself out by its unusual violence.' was at an end. It had been succeeded by light, variable airs from, from the south to southeast, carrying great banks of fog in the anchorage upper lee of Skeleton Island, lay still and leaden as first we had entered. The Hispaniola in that unbroken mirror was exactly portrayed from the truck to the water line, the Jolly Roger hanging from her peak. Alongside lay one of the gigs, silver in the stern sheets, him I could always recognize, while a couple of men were leaning over the stern bulwarks, one of them with a red cap, the very rogue I had seen some hours before strided legs upon the palisade. Apparently, they were talking and laughing, though at this distance, upward of a mile, I could, of course, hear no words of what was said. All at once, they began the most horrid, unearthly screaming, which at first startled me badly, for I uh, had soon remembered the voice of Captain Flint even though I could barely make out the bird by her bright plumage as she sat perched on her master's wrist. Soon after, the jolly boat shoved off and pulled for shore, and the man with the red cap and his cabrides went below by the cabin companion. Just the same, the sun had gone down behind the spyglass, and as the fog was collecting rapidly, it began to grow dark in earnest. I saw I must lose no time if I were to find the boat that evening. The white rock, visible enough above the brush, was still some eighth of a mile further down the spit, and it took me a goodish while to get up to it, crawling often on hands and force among the scrub. Night had almost come when I had laid my hands on its rough sides. Right below it was this exceedingly small hollow green turf hidden by banks and thick underwood about knee deep that grew there very plentifully. In the centre of the dell, sure enough, a little green a little tent of goatskins, like what the gypsies carried about with them in England. I dropped into the hollow, lifted the side of the tent, and there was Ben Gunn's boat. Homemade, if ever anything was homemade. A rude, lopsided framework of tuft wood stretched upon that uh, covering of goatskin with the hair inside. The thing was extremely small, even for me, and I can hardly imagine that it could have floated with a full-sized man. There was one thwart set as low as possible, a kind of stretcher in the bows, and double paddle for propulsion. I had not seen a coracle... Since such as the ancient Britons made, but I'd seen one since, and I can give you no fairer idea of Ben Gunn's boat than than by saying it was like the first and the worst coracle ever made by man. Let me just take a quick little look. See here. What the fuck a coracle is? Coracle. Um, a small boat, small round boat made of wickerwork, covered with a watertight material propelled with a paddle. Oh my God. It is most adorable little boat I've ever seen. It's like a boat for children. It's just it's got a seat and it's round and it's braced and you just paddle around and it's fucking adorable some of them are kind of big yeah it's basically just like a bowl you sit in and paddle yourself around all these look fairly homemade um these little coracles i guess you know i guess that's the that's the thing of it interesting oh, that's pretty cool but the great advantage of the coracle it certainly possessed for it was exceedingly light and portable well, now that I had found the boat, you would have thought that I had had enough of truancy for once. Uh, but in the meantime, I had to take another notion, and become so obstinately fond of it that I would have carried it out, I believe, in the teeth of Captain Smolin himself. It was to slip out under cover of night, cut up the Hispaniola adrift, let her go ashore where she fancied. I had quite made up my mind that the mutineers, after their repulse that morning, had nothing nearer their hearts than to up anchor and away to sea. This I thought would be a fine thing to prevent. And now that I had seen how they left their watchmen unprovided with a boat, I thought it might be done with little risk. Down I sat to wait for darkness and made a hearty meal of biscuit. It was a night out of ten. It was night one. I don't know, Han. Hold on. I'm adding words where words don't exist. It was a night out of ten thousand for my purpose. The fog had now buried all heaven. At last, as the last rays of daylight dwindled and disappeared, absolute blackness settled down on Treasure Island. And when at last I shouldered the coracle and groped my way, stumbling out of the hollow where I had supped, There were but two points visible on the whole anchorage. One was the great fire on shore, by which the defeated pirates lay carousing in the swamp. The other, a mere blur of light upon the darkness, indicated the position of the anchored ship. She had swung round to the ebb. Her bow was now towards me. The only lights on board were in the cabin, and what I saw was merely a reflection of the fog on the strong rays that flowed from the stern window. The ebb had already run some time, and I had to wade through a long belt of swampy sand where I'd sank several times a bow of the ankle before I came to the edge of the retreating water and waded in a little. With some strength and dexterity, set my coracle, kneel downwards on the surface. That's the end of the chapter, I guess. I don't know. But he's got a coracle now, and now I kind of want to build one. It's like almost like one of those like matchbox cars you see people race downhill. And I want to build I want to build a coracle. Is that how, am I pronouncing this right? Coracle. Sure. I want to build a coracle. I think it'll be fun. <laughs> hey! How's it going, everybody? That's right, it's me, coming at you live from 12.22 at night. I'm on my way home from a concert, and I thought I'd tell you about it. Because I've never been to a concert quite like this one, and I thought it was a unique anthropological experience, experiencing a culture of which I know virtually nothing about. I know slightly more about it now, having been a part of it for an evening, um, and experienced their music all throughout today, getting ready for it. So, as a musician, I uh, listened to back in high school, named um, Voltaire, who I guess, I don't really know how to really describe it. It's like satirical, macabre, goth folk shit, um, would would be fair. And um, it's good, it's good, it's really good. Uh, he sang a couple of songs on like Cartoon Network and stuff like that, it's good stuff. Um, and a friend of mine from work got me and a bunch of my other friends like tickets to see the show. And so we all went to like dinner first and then we show up at the venue and see the show. And I was looking at the set list, well not the set list, but the lineup for the concert ahead of time the venue in question for tonight's show was, um, El Corazon in Seattle, which is a venue that I've been to probably 50, 60 times in my life. Um, I played El Corazon a long time ago. Like I've, I've done, I've done a lot of things at and with this venue. Um, and I had never seen it as empty tonight um, except for when I performed at El Corazon. Uh, that's the only time I've seen it less packed than, um, than tonight was. Like there was room to breathe and you could sit down and stuff. It blew my mind. Um, not to say that there weren't people there, but it was like comfortably full, you know, like you, you bumped into people every now and then, but it was not like a constant thing. You didn't have people breathing down your neck or pressing up against your ass At every fucking second, like you do every other metal show, I go to that place. But anyway, I digress. Um, So that was good. And the first band on the bill, we saw the the third and the fourth band on the bill. We missed the first two because of dinner. Um, But the first band, I forget their name, but they have like eight monthly listeners on Spotify. And the second band had like 98 monthly listeners on Spotify. And the third band had like 25 monthly listeners on Spotify. Now, obviously this isn't a metric like to signify popularity or whatever, but you know, they're fairly underground bands. Um, and Voltaire, uh, I don't think he so much, I think he, his songs do appeal to goth culture, which is the culture of the evening. Um, but those three opening bands vastly more appeal. That's not really a sentence, but they're, they're more in line with what I would have considered to be goth music. And I don't know fucking shit about goth music or goth culture, except for like what I presume are poor representations on things like South Park and stuff like that. So when I got there, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, and I will say this, I think by and large, you know, if I, if I average it out, this was the best dressed crowd I've ever seen. There were three-piece suits. There were beautiful dresses. There was everything from like fit to go to a wedding to BDSM wear to, which was really uh, exampled by a woman literally being led around by a choker and chain um more power to him if it's consensual fucking hell yeah. um it was just like unusual I guess in at least in my spheres um so that was that was different uh it's also the first concert in a really long time it was not necessary to wear earplugs because the third band was kind of quiet um even though they had like kind of a like house dance, you know EDM sort of feel going on with this goth shit um, sorry I don't mean shit um, it's not a culture I'm familiar with it wasn't bad it's just not my style you know goth is almost like the antithesis of what I tend to listen to which is like really upbeat high octane power metal um, about you know kicking ass and being awesome and goth music is kind of slow and bit more chilled out, usually lyrics containing some sort of statement um, or credo or something. I don't know. Again, I've, I know very little about it. One thing I did know, apparently, is if, if a goth person tells you they like your shoes, apparently that is goth code for they want to fuck you. I don't know how accurate that is. And now I'm thinking back, I'm like, every time I've either complimented somebody's shoes or they've complimented mine and I'm like, man, they were just nice shoes. Now there's like a stigma attached to it. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I guess if a culture agrees on a thing, then it is true for that culture, but it just seems like, really? All right. It's fine. You know, not here to judge, just here to experience. And yeah, I mean, there was, there was a lot of, um, things happening that night that went against my perception. Like, I saw a couple, uh, walk by, um, and I was, like, standing on, like, this upper, like, level area, and, um, one of the members of that couple was just super tall, like, six foot eight, was basically wearing, like, a jet black poncho, um, and looked rather intimidating, and they go and stand at the, like, like at the barrier of the upper level that I'm, uh, sitting at, um, and blocked, like, you know, a dozen people's views. And in my head, I'm like making all these judgments, being like, oh, look at this tall motherfucker coming in and ruining all these people's views. And that dude, like, stood there for maybe two seconds, turned around, saw what he had done, and fucking dropped to his knees so he could just peek out over the fence, but he wasn't blocking anybody else's views. And I'm like, in all the years I've gone to concerts, I have never seen... That level of courtesy to your fellow concert goers. Every other concert, like metalheads are really nice people, but they don't give a fuck if they're in your way. They don't. They're there to see the fucking show and you gotta figure it out. You gotta worm your way or look between shoulders. Like they don't care. They're taller than you. Of course they're gonna have a better view, but this dude was just super considerate. And I get like mad props for that and it was it was really I was very impressed. Um Voltaire uh it was just him and a guitar like there was no backing musicians which I was kinda bummed out by because I'm like a lot of his songs have some really good like violin and horns, you know, um kind of jazzy stuff. It's it's fun. And it's very uh upbeat for a lot of it. Like it's you know it's satirical. It's um it's funny and it's Smart and I, I very much enjoy it. And um, he was super chatty, like in between songs, he would just chat and talk to us about like shit that was going on. And um, apparently, it was the first concert of the year for him, and he kept fucking up all over the place, like forgetting the words and stuff like that. And it was it was very amusing. I think he described it as like like the type of show where you're in the musician's house. And, um, it's just super casual, and he doesn't remember half the words, (laughs) and he's trying to figure out how to play the songs, like, while he's playing the songs, it was, um, I've never seen a show quite like it, really, um, and it was, it was refreshing, and it was very funny, and while, while some of the jokes may have been a little, um, I don't want to say staged, but, uh, they didn't land as well as some other ones, um, (laughs) But, uh, but I didn't enjoy it. And in terms of like him playing songs that I knew, he played a bunch of stuff that I knew like right at the front. And then he ended with um, his probably his most popular song, which is um When You're Evil, which is uh, a good song. Kind of what would happen if Voltaire wrote like a Disney villain song, is what that one always reminded me of. Um, There's actually, I'm not sure if it's on YouTube anymore, but long ago, somebody did like a an animatic video, music video to that song with like a bunny, I think. Um and that's what I always think of when I when I hear that song is I think of that animation. So I wish I could credit them because it is it is quite good. Um if you look up When You're Evil you'll you will probably find it. But um full credit to, to the animator on that one. It's it is quite well done. Um but yeah the concert was good. And then at the end of the, the night we had to go back to my to the parking garage where I parked my car and The, um, fucking, uh, whatchamajigger, gate was closed, so we had to call the security guy to come let me in, which wasn't, which wasn't nearly as bad as the last time I got locked in, uh, locked outside of a parking garage, and it took me, like, two hours of hiking through the city to get a fucking booper and do all sorts of dumb bullshit to get inside the parking garage. It sucked. That was terrible. Um, but that was, like, more than a year ago now at this point, so lesson learned not making that mistake again. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really good show. And I don't I don't think I'm going to go out tomorrow and like listen to a fuck ton of goth music cuz again it's not my speed. Um, I am curious though who would be like the ultimate goth band like most most genres I've experienced have like, you know, a handful of bands that really uh, epitomize the genre um, it gets harder with like things like metal where there are so many different sub genres and stuff like that but I think a lot of people wouldn't begrudge me if I was like Black Sabbath is a really pivotal metal band and Judas Priest is a really pivotal metal band and shit like that you know and it goes it gets more and more complicated the more you listen and stuff like that and like classic rock like Led Zeppelin and the Who and the Rolling Stones and the Beatles like all that shit like These bands are popular for a reason because they either were the the forefathers or some of the best examples of what the genre is capable of, shit like that. I haven't a clue who would be considered like the ultimate goth band. Like, you know, it started somewhere with someone and I don't know who or where they came from, but somewhere out there, there is like the goth band and I need to, I'm curious and I might, I might track that down and give them a listen because you know, I feel like I can find music I enjoy in any genre. Um, I just didn't really know much about, about this genre. Like just to give you an idea of like my, my efforts to blend in. I'm like, I'm wearing a black sweater and jeans right now because I'm like goth, you know, they wear dark clothing and stuff like that. And, um, I kind of ruined it a bit when I showed up in my buddy's house to like pick them up and stuff. And they're wearing like leather jackets and stuff like that, looking really fucking sweet. And I'm like, I wore this jet black sweater. It's made of wool and it's Calvin Klein. I hope that allows me to blend in real, real easy with these, uh, with these goth kids. Um, I don't think I stuck out very much. If anything, it was probably because I, I was like the only blonde guy in the, uh, in the whole fucking audience. But hey, you know, that's fine. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a good show. Um, I'd recommend seeing Voltaire, he puts on a hell of a performance, um, check out his stuff beforehand, uh, but it's, was, it was very entertaining, sorry, I'm so fucking, oh, sleepy, oh, I've been awake for like, god damn, 19 hours, 19 and a half hours, almost uh, 20 hours now, pushing, uh, pushing 20 hours, it's, yep been awake a long time and I'm very very eager for sleep I'm now approaching the house um I just wanted to share that that concert experience with y'all while it's fresh in my brain fruits um and also to say for the record that if you combined the monthly listenership on Spotify of the first three bands at tonight's concert I am still more popular than they are so thank you all very much For making me more popular than three incredibly unknown goth bands. Um, Also, uh, one of them... uh, I can't remember the fucking name. But the the third band of tonight's show. Apparently that was their last show as a a band. And I was like, well, that's kind of a bummer. Um, I've been to a lot of shows where it's like, oh, it's our first show in America. Or it's our first show of the tour. But I've never into a show where it was their last performance as that band except for when I was in a band and that just happened to be the last time we ever played together. So, didn't know at the time, but that's what it became. Isn't that always the way? Alright, I'm gonna go inside and take a shower and go to bed because I'm fucking exhausted. But let's move on to the next thing in, hold on, in the podcast. Chapter Man, you know, one of the things about this fucking book is it's making me do like, okay, Roman numerals. Uh, got it. Like, it's not a lot of seconds, but it's enough seconds that it makes me feel like an idiot and um I don't like it. I'm not a, I'm not appreciative. Not appreciative of that. I know I'm an idiot <laughs> most of the time. I need a book to remind me of that. Anyway, chapter 23. Damn it. The ebb tide runs. The coracle as I had ample reason to know before I was done with her, was a very safe boat for a person of my height and weight, both buoyant and clever in a seaway. But she was the most cross-grained, lopsided craft to manage. Do as you pleased. She always made more leeway than anything else, and turning round and round was the maneuver she was best at. Even Ben Gunn himself has admitted that she was, quote, queer to handle till you knew her way. That's a sentence. Uh certainly I did not know her way. She turned in every direction but the one I was bound to go. The most part of the time we were on we were broadside on and I am very sure I never should have made the ship at all but for the tide. By good fortune paddle as I pleased the tide was still sweeping me down and there lay the Hispaniola right in the fairway hardly to be missed. First she loomed before me like a blot of something yet blacker than darkness. Her spars and hull began to take shape. Is this his sea voyage in this little fucking boat? I thought he was gonna like steal the Hispaniola and set sail for England. But this makes, you know what? This actually makes a lot more sense because he's a child. Anyway, um, and my story would have led to his death and all that whatever stuff. Uh, first, she loomed before me like a blot of something yet blacker than darkness. Then her spars and hull began to take shape. In the next moment, as it seemed, for the farther I went, the brisker grew the current of the ebb. I was alongside her, harser, and had laid hold. Sure, the harser was as taut as a bowstring, and the current so strong she pulled upon her anchor. All round the hull, in the blackness, the rippling current bubbled and shattered like a little mountain stream. One cut with my sea gully, and the Hispaniola would go humming down the tide. So far, so good, but the next occurred to my recollection. That a taut suddenly cut is a thing as dangerous as a kicking horse. Ten to one, if I were so foolhardy as to cut the Hispaniola from her anchor, and I and the coracle would be knocked clean out of the water. This brought me to a full stop, and if fortune had not particularly favored me, I should have had to abandon my design. But the light airs, which had begun blowing from the southeast to the south, had hauled round after nightfall into the southwest. Just while I was meditating, a puff came, caught the Hispaniola, and forced her upon into her current, and to my great joy, I felt the, the hacksaw harser slacken in my grasp, and the hand by which I held it dip for a second underwater. With that, I made my mind up, took out my gully, and opened it with my teeth, and cut one strand after another till the vessel swung only by two. Then I lay quiet, waiting to sever these last two, when the strain should be more lightened by a breath of wind. All this time I heard the sound of loud voices from the cabin, but to say truth, my mind had been so entirely taken up with other thoughts that I had scarcely given ear. Now, however, when I had nothing else to do, I began to pay more heed. What I recognized for the coxswain, Israel hands, that had been Flint's gunner in... German. All right, hold on. I need a. Oh, interesting. Um... Apparently I was mistaken. I have been utterly convinced that because the word German was in blue, that it was a clickable link that would have led me somewhere that does not appear to be the case um at all so I, I have no idea to its presence in the pdf um anyway former days the other was of course my friend of the red nightcap both men were plainly the worst of drink and they were still drinking for even while i was listening one of them with a drunken cry opened the stern window and threw out something which i divined to be an empty bottle but they were not only tipsy it was plain that they were furiously angry Oaths flew like hailstones, and every now and then came a fourth such an explosion as I thought was sure to end in blows. But each time the quarrel passed off and the voices grumbled lower for a while until the next crisis came, and its turn passed away without result. On shore, I could see the glow of the great campfire burning warmly through the shoreside trees. Someone was singing a dull old droning sailor song, with a droop and a quaver at the end of every verse, and seemingly no end to it at all but the patience of the singing. I heard it on the voyage more than once and remembered these words. But one man full of her crew alive, what put to sea with seventy-five? And I thought it was a ditty rather too doleful, appropri- too dolefully appropriate for a company that had met such cruel losses in the morning. But indeed, from what I saw, all these buccaneers were as callous as the sea they sailed on. At last the breeze came, the schooner sidled and drew nearer in the darkness, and I felt the harser slacken once more, and with a good tough effort cut the last fibers through. The breeze had but little action on the coracle, and I was almost instantly swept against the bows of the Hispaniola. At the same time, the schooner began to turn upon its heel, spinning slowly end, over, end for end across the current. I wrought like a fiend, for I expected every moment to be swamped, and since I found I could not push the coracle directly off, I shoved straight, in, straight astern. At length, I was clear of my dangerous neighbor, just as I had given the last impulsion. My hand came across a light cord that was trailing overboard across the stern bulwarks. Instantly, I grasped it. Why I should have done so, I cannot say. It was at first mere instinct, but once I had it in my hands and found it fast, curiosity um, began to get the upper hand, and I determined um, I should have one look through the cabin window. I pulled in hand over hand on the cord. When I judged myself near enough, rose at infinite risk to half my height, and thus commanded the roof and slice of the interior cabin. By this time, the schooner and her little concert were glided pretty swiftly through the water. Indeed, we had already fetched up level with the campfire. The ship was talking, as the sailors said loudly, treading um, the innumerable ripples with an incessant, welting splash. Until I got my eye above the windowsill, I could not comprehend why the watchman had taken no alarm. One glance, however, was sufficient, and it was only one glance that I durst take uh, from that unsteady skiff. It showed me hands, and his companion locked together in a deadly wrestle, each with hands upon the other's throats. I dropped upon the thwart again, none too soon, for I was near overboard. I could see nothing for the moment but these two furious and crimson faces swaying together under the smoky lamp, and I shut my eyes to let them grow once more familiar with the darkness. The endless ballad that had come had come to an end at last, and the whole diminished company about the campfire had broken into a chorus I had heard so often. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, yo ho ho, and a bottle of rum, Drinking the devil had done for the rest, yo ho ho, and a bottle of rum. I was just thinking now, busy- uh, thinking how? I was just thinking how busy Drink and the Devil were at the very moment in the cabin in the Hispaniola when I was surprised by a sudden lurch of the coracle. The same moment she yawned sharply and seemed to change her course. The speed in the meantime had strangely increased. I opened my eyes at once. Around me were little ripples, uh, combing over with a sharp bristling sound of a slight phosphorescence. The Hispaniola herself, a few yards in whose wake I was still being whirled along, seemed to stagger in her course. As I spars tossed a little against the blackness of the night. Nay, as I looked longer, I made sure she was also... Uh, also was wheeling to the southward. I glanced over my shoulder; my heart jumped against my ribs. There, right behind me, was the glow of the campfire. The current had turned at right angles, sweeping round along with it the tall schooner and the little dancing coracle, ever quickening, ever bubbling higher, even murdering la- murder muttering, murdering muttering louder. It went spinning through the narrows for the open sea. Suddenly, the schooner in front of me gave a violent yaw, turning perhaps uh, the through twenty, yeah, turning perhaps through twenty degrees. And almost at the same moment one shout followed from another on board. I could hear feet pounding on the companion ladder, and I knew that the two drunkards had at last been interrupted in their quarrel and awakened to a sense of their disaster. I lay down flat in the bottom of that wretched skiff and devoutly recommended my spirit to its maker. At the end of the straits I made sure we must I made sure we must fall into some bar of raging breakers where all my troubles would be ended speedily. And though I could perhaps bear to die, could not bear to look upon my fate as it approached. So I must have lain for hours, continually beaten to and fro upon the billows. Now and again, wetted by flying sprays, and never ceasing to expect death at the next plunge. Gradually, weariness grew upon me, a numbness and occasional stupor fell upon my mind, even in the midst of my terrors. Until sleep at last supervened, in my sea-tossed coracle, I lay and dreamed of home and the old Admiral Benbow. Chapters aren't very long. How was this originally um distributed? Because I swear it feels like almost like weekly installments. You know. Like, it seems like the type of uh, thing that may have appeared in, like, uh, paper publications of the day. And people would always, like, tune in weekly to see what new adventures um, they got up to. It says adventure novel. So, I'm guessing it came out all at once. Um, it was originally considered a coming-of-age story and it's noted for its atmosphere, characters and actions. One of the most frequently dramatized of all novels. It was once serialized by a, in the a children's magazines young folks from 1881 to 1882 um yeah 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 it was i fucking knew it originally serialized in a young in children's magazines from 1881 to 1882 under the title treasure island or the mutiny of the Hispaniola, credited to the pseudonym captain george north it was first published as a book on november 14th 1883 by castle and co so it did come out in fucking i guess if it was a magazine probably would have been monthly installments i fucking knew it I knew it. Ha! Chapter 24. Thank you. Yes. The Cruise of the Chronicle. God damn. Oh, boy. Uh, sorry. Hold on. Uh, fuck. I'm doing this new thing where um, rather than just like chaining the chapters together... Throughout like an hour period, I'm taking like multiple hours um, to record the Treasure Island chapters because I feel like by taking a second away from the book and uh, thinking about some other things for a bit, and then come back to it, I kind of like help refresh my perspective and help provide future context and jokes and shit. Um, That's the idea. That's the that's the thing I'm attempting here. Anyway. Uh, let me just put this back. There we go. Okay. It was broad daylight when I awoke and found myself tossing at the southwest end of the treasure island. The sun was up, but it was 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 still hid from me behind the great bulk of the spyglass, which on this side descended almost to the sea in formidable cliffs. Howl, Hall, Bowline Head, and mizzenmast Hill were at my elbow, the hill bare and dark, the head bound with cliffs 40 or 50 feet high, infringed with great masses of fallen rock. I was scarce a quarter. Sorry, I'm really, really trying to crank that one back so I can feel it compressing my wrist. Um, A quarter of a mile to seaward, and it was my first thought to paddle in and land. That notion was soon given over. Among the fallen rocks, the breaker spouted and bellowed, loud reverberations, heavy sprays flying and falling, succeeded one another from second to second, And I saw myself, if I ventured nearer, dashed to death upon the rough shore, spending my strength in vain to scale the beetling crags. Nor was that all. For crawling together on flat tables or rocks or letting themselves drop into the sea were loud reports I beheld huge slimy monsters. Soft snails, as it were, of incredible bigness, two or three score of them together, making the rocks echo with their barking. Oh, they're seals. Okay. I've understood them, I've understood since that they were sea lions and entirely harmless. The fuck? Nuh uh. Mm mm. Sea lions harmless? Hell no. Those motherfuckers will root. They will kill you. Entirely harmless. That cannot be the case. No. No. God damn. Sea lions. are fucking. super not. No. They're normally not dangerous to humans and attacks are uncommon, but they are large and unpredictable wild animals with sharp teeth. Like, fucking. Don't fucking, don't test your luck against a sea lion, you goddamn nit shit. Entirely harmless. But the luck of them added to the difficulty of the shore and the high running of the surf was more than enough to disgust me of that landing place. I felt rather, uh, I felt willing rather to starve at sea than confront such perils. In the meantime, I had a better chance, as I supposed, before me, north of Howl, Howl Bowline Head, the land runs in a long way, leaving at low tide a long stretch of yellow sand. To the north of that again, there comes another cape, Cape of the Woods, as it is marked upon the chart, buried in tall green pines, which descended to the margin of the sea. I remember what Silver had said about the current that set northward along the whole west coast of Treasure Island, and seeing from my position that I was already under its influence, I preferred to leave Howe Bowline Head behind me and reserve my strength for an attempt to land upon the kinder, kindlier looking Cape of the Woods. There was a great smooth swell upon the sea, the wind blowing steadily and gently from the south, and there was no contrariety between that and the current, and the billows rose and fell unbroken. Had it been otherwise, I must long ago have perished, but as it was, it was surprising how easy and securely my little light boat could ride. Often, as I lay at the bottom, caping, kept no more than an eye above the gunwale, I could see a big blue summit heaving close above me. Yet the coracle would but bounce a little, dance as if on springs, and subside on the other side in its trough, lightly as a bird. I began after a little to grow very bold and sat up to try my skill at paddling, but even a small change in the disposition of the way produced produce violent changes in the behavior German, of a coracle. I had hardly moved before the boat, giving up at once her gentle dancing movement ran straight down a slope of water so steep that it made me giddy, stuck and struck her nose with a spout of spray deep into the side of the next wave. I was drenched and terrified and fell instantly back into my old position, whereupon the coracle seemed to find her head again and led me as softly as before among the billows. It was plain she was not to be interfered with, and at that rate, since I could in no way influence her course, what hope had I uh, left of reaching land? I began to be horribly frightened, but I kept my head uh, for all that. First, moving with all care, I gradually bailed out the coracle with my sea cap Then getting my eye once more above the gunwale, I set myself to study how she was managed to slip so quietly through the rollers. I found each wave, instead of the big, smooth, glossy mountains it looked from shore or from a vessel's deck, was for all the world like any range of hills on dry land, full of peaks and smooth places and valleys. Coracle left to herself to turn from side to side, threaded, so to speak, her way through these lower parts and avoided the steeper slopes and higher, toppling summits of the wave. Well now, I thought to myself. It is plain I must lie where I am and not disturb the balance, but it is plain also that I can put the paddle to the side, over the side and from time to time in smooth places give her a shove or two toward land. No sooner thought that upon than done. I lay on my elbows in a most trying attitude and every now and then gave a weak stroke or two to turn her head to shore. It was very tiring and slow work, yet I did visibly gain ground and as we drew nearer the cape of the wood, I though I saw I must infallibly miss that point, I had still made a couple hundred yards of easting. I was indeed close in. I could see the cool green treetops swaying together in the breeze, and I felt sure I could make the next prom- promontory without fail. It was high time, for I now began to be tortured with thirst. The glow of the sun from above, its thousandfold reflections from the waves, the seawater that fell and dried upon me, caking my very lips with salt combined to make my throat burn and my brain ache. And the sight of the tree so near at hand had almost made me sick with longing, but the current had soon carried me past the point, And as the next reach of sea opened out, I beheld a sight that changed the nature of my thoughts. Right in front of me, not a half mile away, I beheld the Hispaniola under sail. I made sure, of course, that I should be taken, but I was so distressed for want of water I scarcely knew whether to be glad or sorry at the thought. Long before I had come to the conclusion, Surprise had entirely taken possession of my mind, and I could do nothing but stare and wonder. The Hispaniola was under her mainsail and two jibs, and the, the beautiful white canvas shone in the sun like snow or silver. When I first sighted her, all her sails were drawing. She was lying, of course, northwest, and I presumed the men on board were going round the island on their way back to the anchorage. Presently, she began to fetch more and more to the westward, um, so that I thought they had sighted me and were going about in chase. However, at last, she fell right into the wind's eye and was taken dead aback and stood there a while helpless, her shale, her sails shivering. Clumsy fellas, I said. They must be still drunk as owls. And I thought how Captain Smollett would have set them skipping. Meanwhile, the schooner gradually fell off and filled again upon another tack, sailed swiftly for a minute's arm, brought up once more dead in the wind's eye. Again and again, this was repeated. To and fro, up and down north, south, east, west, the Hispaniola sailed by swoops and dashes, and at each repetition ended, as she had begun, with idly flapping canvas. It was plain to me that nobody was steering. If so, where were the men? Either they were dead, drunk, or had deserted, her. I thought, and perhaps I could get on board and might return the vessel to her captain. The current was bearing coracles and schooner southwest at an equal rate as for the latter sailings it was so wild and intermittent and she hung each time so long in irons so that she certainly gained nothing if she did not even lose if only i had dared to set up and paddle i made sure i could overhaul her the scheme had an air of adventure that inspired me and the thought of the water breaker beside the fore companion doubled my growing courage Up by got, was welcomed almost instantly by another cloud of spray, but this time stuck to my purpose and set myself with all strength and caution to paddle after the unsteered Hispaniola. Once I shipped a sea so heavy that I had to stop and bail, with a heart fluttering like a bird, but gradually got into the way of the thing and guided my coracle among the waves, with only now and then a blow upon her bows and a dash of foam in my face. I was now gaining rapidly on the schooner. I could see the brass glistening on the tiller as it banged about, and still no soul appeared on her decks. I could not choose, uh, but suppose she was deserted. If not, the men were lying drunk below, or I might batten them down, perhaps, and do what I choose with the ship. For some time, she had been doing the worst worst thing possible for me, standing still. She headed near due south, yawning of course all the time. Each time she fell off, her sails partially filled, and these brought her in a moment right to the wind again. I have said this was the worst thing possible for me. Uh, for helpless, as she looked in the situation with the canvas cracking like a can and the, the blocks trundling and banging on the deck, she continued to run away from me, not only with the speed of the current, but by the whole amount of her leeway, which was naturally great. But now at last I had my courage. The breeze fell for some seconds very low and the, cur- the current gradually turning her. The Hispaniola revolved slowly round her center and at last presented me her stern, with the cabin window still gaping open and the lamp over the table still burning in, burning on into the day. The mainsail cell hung drooped like a banner. She was stock still, but for the current. For the last uh, little while I had even lost, but now redoubling my efforts, I began once more to overhaul the chase. I was not a hundred yards from her when the wind came again in a clap. She filled on the pork tag and was off again, stooping and skimming like a shallow like a swallow, sorry. My first impulse was one of despair, but my second was towards joy. Round she came till she was broadside on me. Round she still Round still till she had covered a half, and then two thirds, and then three quarters of the distance that separated us. I could see the waves uh, boiling white under her forefoot. Immensely tall, she looked to me from my low station in the coracle. And then all of a sudden, I began to comprehend. I had scarce time to think, scarce time to act and save myself. I was on the summit of one swell when the schooner came stooping over the next. The bow sprit was over my head. I sprang to my feet and leapt, stamping the coracle under the water. With one hand, I caught the jib boom, while my foot lodged between the stay and the brace. And I and as I still clung there, panting, Dolblow told me that the schooner had charged down upon and struck the coracle, and that I was left without retreat on the Hispaniola. That was a ballsy fucking move. The ship was about to crush him, and he just leaps up and grabs a hold of that the I guess like the shit that sticks out of the bow where like the um figurehead is. I think is that what that's described. What a fucking what a champion. Good job, Jim. That's a ballsy fucking move. this very podcast i talked about a documentary series on netflix called night on earth and um i don't think my review was all that glowing um because i was like halfway through the first episode um but later that same day i finished the rest of the show and it's really fucking good in reality the uh the the first episode is 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 not the best um dare i say it a little boring a little boring that first episode, but those later ones, especially when you get to like the jungle and they start talking about like the ocean, shit's crazy. Um, the the stylings of the technology they use in the special is really fucking cool and like shows a side of nature that like, you know, they get a little bit inside their own butts about it, but it's still really neat how um, animals behave at night and uh, just like where they go with the uh, with the show and... And kind of the uh, the messages behind it and stuff like that. It is worth checking out, in my humble opinion. Um, I haven't consumed much media beyond that because I've been so busy trying to get caught up on Critical Role, uh, where a bunch of nerds for characters sit around and play Dungeons and Dragons. But the documentary is really good. I think my favorite episode is probably the Ocean one. Um, I'm sure I've spoken about it before, but there was a period in my t- life when I was going to be a marine biologist, um, and I fell on that path fucking hard. Um, And I didn't change path from that for like all of middle and high school until I got to college and then I went into a different field. So um, anything that deals with like water-based aquatic animals, that shit is is my jam. And I know I just said water-based aquatic animals and y'all can shut up. (laughs) Shut up, I know what I did. I know what I said, but the documentary is really good. And I would recommend it if you are a nature documentary fan like i am uh netflix keeps coming up with a bunch of fucking shit of late but it is worth checking out to make a special time to watch night on earth it's only six episodes i want to say uh so fairly consumable they're like 45 minutes each um yeah so there you go hey anyway, let's get back to jim and the gang chapter 25 i strike Jolly Roger. I had scarce gained a position on the bow sprit when the flying jib flapped and filled upon the other tack, and with a report like a gun, the schooner trembled to her keel under the reverse, but the next moment the other sail still drawing, the jib flapped back again and hung idly. This had nearly tossed me off into sea, and now I lost no time, crawled back along the bow sprit, and tumbled head foremost onto the deck. I was on the lee side of the forecastle, and the main sail, which was still drawing, concealed from me a certain portion of the after deck. Not a soul was to be seen. The planks, which had not been swabbed since the mutiny, bore the prints of many feet, and an empty bottle, broken by the neck, tumbled to and fro like a living thing in the scuppers. Suddenly the Hispaniola came right into the wind. The jib behind me cracked aloud. A rudder slammed to and the whole ship, gave a sickening heave and shudder. And at the same moment, the main boom swung inboard, and the sheet groaning in the blocks, and showed me the lee after deck. There were the two watchmen, sure enough, red cap on his back, as stiff as a handspike with his arms stretched out like those of a crucifix and his teeth showing through his open lips Israel hands propped against the bulwark his chin on his chest his hands lying open before him on the deck his face as white under its tan as a tallow candle for a while ship kept bucking and sidling like a vicious horse the sails filling now um, on one tack and now on another boom swinging to and fro till the mast groaned aloud under the strain now and again too, there came a come a cloud of light sprays over the bulwark and a heavy blow of the ship's bows against the swell so much heavier weather was made by of it by this great raged ship than by my homemade lopsided coracle now gone to the bottom of the sea are those two fuckers dead um i don't know i don't know i guess we're gonna find out it sounds like they're dead Every At every jump of the schooner, red cap slipped to and fro, but what was ghastly to behold, neither his attitude nor his fixed teeth disclosing grin was any way disturbed by this rough usage. At every jump, two hands appeared still more to sink into himself, settled down upon the deck, his feet sliding even further out, the whole body canting towards the stern, so that his face became little by little hid from me. At last, I could see nothing beyond his ear and the frayed ringlet of one whisker. Okay. At the same time, I observed around both of them splashes of dark blood upon the planks and began to feel sure that they had killed each other in their drunken wrath. Okay, there we go. While I was thus looking and wondering at a calm moment when the ship was still, Israel hands turned partly around with a low moan, writhed himself back to a position in which I had seen him first. The moan, which told of pain and deadly weakness, and the German way in which his jaw hung open went right to my heart. But when I remembered the talk I had overheard from the apple barrel, all pity left me. I walked aft until I reached the mainmast. "'Come aboard, Master ha- Mr. Hans! I said ironically. He rolled his eyes around heavily, but he was too far gone to express surprise. All he could do was utter one word. "'Brandy!' It occurred to me there was no time to lose, and dodging the boom as it once more lurched across the deck, I slipped aft and down the companion stairs uh, into the cabin. It was such a scene of confusion as you could hardly fancy. All the locked-fast places had been broken open in quarrel of the chart. The floor was thick with mud where ruffians had sat down to drink and consult after waiting in Martians round their camp. The bulkheads, all painted in clear white, beaded round with gilt, bore a pattern of dirty hands. Dozens of empty bottles clinked together in corners to the rolling of the ship. One of the doctor's medical books lay open on the table. Half of the leaves gutted out, I suppose, for pipe light. In the midst of all this, the lamp still cast a smoky glow, obscure and brown as umber. I went into the cellar. All the barrels were gone, and of the bottles, a most surprising number had been drunk out and thrown away. Certainly since the muni began, not a man of them could ever have been sober. Foraging about, I found a bottle of, with some brandy left for hands, and for myself, I rided some biscuits, some pickled fruit, and a great bunch of raisins, and a piece of cheese. With these, I came on deck, put down my own stock behind the rudder head, uh, and dwell out of the coxswain's reach, went forward with the water breaker and handed a good deep drink of water, and then, and not till then, gave Hansy the, br- gave hands, gave Hansy the brandy. Yep, that's his new name now. His name is Hansy. He must have drunk a gill before he took the bottle from his mouth. Hi, he said. By thunder, I want not so hot. I sat down already in my own corner and began to eat. Much hurt, I asked him. He grunted, or rather, I might have said he barked. That doctor was aboard, he said. I might be right enough in a couple of turns, but I don't have no manner of luck, you see. And that's what the matter is with me. As for that swabby's good and dead, he is. He added, yeah, indicating the man with the red cap. He weren't no seamen anyhow. And where might you have come from? "'Well,' said I, "'I've come aboard to take a possession of the ship, Mr. Hans, "'and you'll please regard me as your captain until further notice.' "'He looked at me sourly enough, but said nothing. "'Some of the color had come back into his cheeks, "'though he still looked very sick and continued to slip um, out "'and settle down as the ship banged about. "'By the by,' I continued, "'I can't have these colors, Mr. Hans. "'By your leave, I'll strike them. "'Better none than these.' "'And again, dodging the boom, I ran to the color lines "'and handed down their cursed black flag and chucked it overboard.' "'God save the king,' I said, waving my cap. "'And there's an end to Captain Silver.' "'He watched me keenly and slyly, his chin all white on his breast. "'I reckon,' he said at last, "'I reckon, Captain Hawkins, you'll want—you'll kind of want to get ashore now. "'Suppose we talks?' "'Why, yes,' I said. "'With all my heart, Mr. And say on.' "'And I went back to my meal with a good appetite. "'This man,' he began, nodding feebly up the corpse, "'O'Brien were his name, and a rank Irelander—uh, islander. uh irelander and this man and me got the canvas on her, meaning for her to sail back. Well, he's dead now. He is dead as a bilge. And who's to sail the ship? I don't see. With that, I gives you a hint. You ain't the man. That man, as far as I can tell. Now look here. You give me food and drink and an old scarf or handkerchief to tie me wound up. You do, and I'll tell you how to sail her. Uh, and that's square all round. I take it. And I'll tell you one thing. I said I'm not gonna. I'm not going back to Captain Kidd's anchorage. I mean to get to the North Inlet and beach her quietly there. "'To be sure you did,' he cried. "'Why, it ain't such an infernal lubber after all. "'I can see, can't I? "'I have tried my fling, have I I have lost. "'And it's you that has the wind of me. "'North Inlet? "'Why, I haven't a choice, not I. "'I'll help you sail her up to the execution dock, "'by thunder, so I would.'" Well, as it seemed to me, There was some sense in this. We struck our bargain on the spot. three minutes, I had the Hispaniola sailing easily before the wind along the coast of Treasure Island, with good hopes of turning the northern point, uh, or noon, bearing down again at the far end of the northern inlet before high water, when we might beach her safely and wait till the subsiding tide permitting us to land then i lashed the tiller and went below to my own chest where i got a soft silk handkerchief from my mother's with this and with my aid hands bound up the great bleeding stab he had received in, in the thigh and after he had eaten a little and had swallowed or had to swallow or two more of the brandy he began to pick up visibly sat up straighter and spoke louder and clearer and looked in every way another man the breeze served us admirably admirably sure we skimmed before it like a bird. The coast of the island flashing by, and the view changing every minute. Soon we were past the highlands and the bowling beside low sanding country, sparsely dotted with dwarf pines. And soon we were beyond that again and turned the corner of the rocky hill that ended the island, or that ends the island on the north. I was greatly elated with my new command and pleased with the bright, sunshiny weather, bright, sunshiny days and these different prospects of the coast. I now had plenty of water and good things to eat, and my conscience, which had smitten me hard for my desertion, was quieted by the great conquest I had made. I should, I think, have had nothing left me to desire, but for the eyes of the coxswain as they followed me derisively around the deck and the odd smile that appeared continually on his face. It was a smile that had in it something both of pain and weakness, a haggard old man's smile, but there was, besides that, a grain of derision, a shadow of treachery, and in his expression as he craftily watched, watched and watched me at my work. Well, yeah, he's going to fucking betray your ass super fucking hard. But we're going to have to wait for next week for that shit. Thank you all very much for listening to this week's episode of the Upcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I will see you all next week for another brand new episode. Have a good one, everyone.